Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Summer, who is professor of Bible at the Jewish Theological Seminary. Prior to that, he was a professor at Northwestern University. He is the author of Revelation and Authority, Sinai in Jewish Scripture and Tradition, a study on how the giving of the Torah at Sinai became understood in the Jewish tradition, which won the 2016 Goldstein Goren Award for the best book in Jewish thought, Mazel Tov. An earlier book of his, The Bodies of God and the World of Ancient Israel, received Best Book Awards from the American Academy of Religion and from the Association for Jewish Studies. There's plenty more to say about Professor Summer, but I'd love to jump right in. Thank you for taking time to talk. Thanks for for the opportunity. So to start off, um, you know, just to jump right in, what role would you say human beings play in in, um, in in the role of the Tanakh? In the, in the writing of the Tanakh, um, I think human beings play a, a, a very great role. Now, Jewish tradition has always said that human beings were very involved in writing the books of the Nevi'im and Ketuvim, the prophets and the writings. But I think that both modern biblical scholars and many modern Jewish theologians um, would argue also that human beings wrote the words that we find in the Torah. The actual wording of the Torah is perhaps a response to a real revelation from God, a real commanding revelation, a law giving at Mount Sinai uh, that comes from God. But I think that the wording that we're getting in the Tanakh, uh, we need to recognize that this is wording that was formulated by human scribes, human priests, human sages, our ancestors and forebears in ancient Israel, who were interpreting divine revelation but that divine revelation didn't necessarily come in language. Great. And what is it that makes it most clear to you that that, that humans are, are intimately and actively involved in this writing? I think that there are um, probably three factors. One, as a Bible scholar, and as many, many Bible scholars uh, for centuries have recognized, the Tanakh gives evidence, uh, and even the Torah itself, the five books of Moses, give evidence that they were not written by a single author because they often engage in debate and discussion. These different authors, different parts of even the Torah disagree with each other and contradict each other. I think right off the bat, that shows us that there's more than one author um, and uh, the maximum number of divine authors, I think we can agree as monotheists, would be one. Uh, so we've got to go to human beings for the, uh, for the rest of this. Um, Number two, not just uh, as a biblical scholar, but as a religious individual, uh, there, are, uh, there are sections of the Torah that I don't believe 
can have been written by a God who is just or a God who is merciful. The, the commandment to wipe out all the Amalekites, to kill all the Amalekites, men, women, and children, I don't believe that a God who is just could have given that commandment or a God who is merciful, much less a God who is both just and merciful. Um, and third, this idea that human beings wrote the wording of the Tanakh or of the, even of the Torah itself in response to God's law giving as an interpretation or a series of interpretations of God's law giving, that means that the, the Torah is the result of a certain amount of dialogue between heaven and earth. And that kind of dialogical understanding of Jewish tradition as being not just top down, but involving arrows that go both, both ways, uh, that I think is actually a very fitting one for Jewish theology, uh, because Jewish theology is often about partnership between uh, a senior partner, which is God, and a junior partner, which is the Jewish people um, sometimes, and sometimes humanity as a whole. Fascinating. So some might critique and say, oh, this is a less religious approach to in involve human authorship. But in fact, one might say the opposite, that it's a more religious approach to acknowledge human authorship in that you are fighting for divine benevolence. You are fighting for a just God um, who would make it impossible to be the author of some, of some dimension that's unjust. Would you agree with that? I would agree, and I, I, I agree very strongly, and I'd go even a step further. Part of what I'm saying is that the whole of Jewish tradition, not just Mishnah and Talmud, not just the Devar Torah you heard last week in Shul, but the Torah itself is written by human beings who are interpreting God's will, but human beings are never perfect. And so we as Jews, or at least as a modern Jew who, who believes in this theory of revelation and this theory of the origin of Jewish tradition, including the Torah itself, um, Human beings who are, who are observing Jewish tradition can't be 100% sure that we're always interpreting God's will correctly. If we think that really every single letter of the Torah was written by God, then I think the extent to which we think that this tradition gets God's will exactly right is going to be a lot higher. Now, if we think that, then we become the sort of people who believe with such perfect faith that we no longer have any humility. And when human beings believe that they're 100% sure what exactly God's will is, that's when religion becomes very dangerous. And to see examples of that, you just have to look at the front page of the newspaper any day of the week. Right, right. So in fact, in fact, being a person of a certain type of faith may be portrayed as humble, but it may actually be uh, arrogant uh, to, to be all-knowing. Uh, right. Whereas this theory of revelation, forces me to admit whenever I'm observing a mitzvah, whenever I'm observing a commandment, I think that this is what's God's will for me, but I have to admit I'm not 100% sure. And I think that humility, first of all, to recognize that I don't really know, I think that that's really crucial to religion, but unfortunately it's often absent. And it also is useful because if I'm not 100% sure of God's will, it still makes sense to put on tefillin every morning but it doesn't make sense to go kill somebody because I think that that's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. So, um, so following this approach to uh, um, uh, authorship, um, when acknowledging human involvement in the construction of the Tanakh, a significant involvement, how, how do you experience this content as still distinctly divine? I guess I would, I would put it this way, and here I'm depending especially on ideas from the great Jewish philosopher Franz Rosenzweig, 
um, that at Sinai, there was a real command that came to the Jewish people. But the specific commandments that we find in the Torah and in the Talmuds and in codes of Jewish law, the specific commandments were formulated by human beings. Now, that command is still coming from God. The command is still divine, and therefore it's completely authoritative. But the individual commandments, those were formulated by human beings who were trying to interpret God's probably non-linguistic command. And we can probably be, uh, continue today to interpret those commands as well. So the specific commandments can be a bit more flexible and even organically developing as sages in every Jewish, uh, in every generation of Jewish life, continue to interpret God's will. Um, but the command itself, that we're supposed to observe the system, that comes from God. So the system's authority, that comes from God. Individual specifics of the system, that comes from human beings, and it, it makes sense that, that, that those specifics might be flexible, might be able to change over time. Okay, so there may, there may be two different types of, of text that we would experience as unethical, or at least ethically problematic. Mm -hmm. One that would seem to be um, uh, problematic today, but not then, such as slave ownership or different understandings of gender. And then there's mm -hmm. others that may feel like any reasonably moral person in any era should understand as problematic, right? Like the Akedah or like, the, or like Amal, wiping out Amalek, women and children, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. And I wonder with the latter, those that seem so clearly unethical, how do you understand those texts? Um, are those merely uh, human errors or is there still some reverence for those texts in some sense? That's a great question. Uh on the one hand, well, I think it's both. On the one hand, yes, I do think that those are errors, that let's say a divine command that human beings, the Jewish people, the Israelite nation has the right and the responsibility to defend itself was interpreted, interpreted in a direction that became grossly unethical. Uh, and one can understand how that happens. I think that that happens in human history all the time, that a group feels it has the right and responsibility to defend itself, but that right and res responsibility metastasizes into a desire to kill the other, to kill all the members of some enemy group. Um, and I think that that is a terrible example of our ancestors and forebears in ancient Israel misunderstanding God's will. I think the idea that, that, that's, that, that may be behind it may be God's will, but I, I think that, yes, that's just a mistake. Once we're acknowledging that the wording of the Torah, the specific human Hebrew words we find there were written by human beings, we have to acknowledge that human beings are fallible and there are going to be some mistakes there. That's an example of such a mistake. At the same time, I think that it is still part of, of Kitve Kodesh. It's still part of scripture. And perhaps it can be redeemed, perhaps it can still teach us something, um, even though it phrases it, I think, in a very unfortunate way. Maybe the command to, um, uh, to, to wipe out Amalek, when we're understanding it more metaphorically as, uh, as, as wiping out evil, maybe that is actually a useful reminder that Judaism does teach that there is such a thing as evil in the world. There are a lot of problems that can be solved by radical love, but honestly, that's not always going to work. Radical love doesn't always work. Sometimes you have to fight. Sometimes you've got to get up and kill them before they kill you if they're coming to kill you. 
Um, I think that the way that it's phrased in the Torah is damaging and dangerous, but there is an idea behind it that is still an important idea that we can't be completely unrealistic about the world. Love can solve many, many problems, but it, it honestly doesn't solve every problem. Yeah, very interesting. So you, uh, what's that? On, on my lake, one other, uh, one other aspect there, and also on the laws of, let's say, expelling the Canaanites, I think it's also useful to remember that for us as Jews, the, the Torah is never authoritative and sacred just by itself. It's always authoritative and sacred in the context of a larger Jewish tradition that includes rabbinic literature, that includes the mission of the Talmuds and, and the texts that come, come after it up until the present day. And there it is really useful to see how hard the rabbis work in the Mishnah, the Talmud, um, in Midrashah Halacha, in medieval literature, to defang a lot of those verses. Um, there's a, a famous saying, Brosh Vekabel Schar, um, interpret these in a new way and receive a reward for it. It tells us something about Jewish tradition that so very often, already um, in, in the, at the beginnings of the rabbinic period, there's a certain pushing back against those verses. And in that context, the verses, even in a negative way, have something to tell us. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, so you wrote a whole book on, 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 on this idea, uh, but I wonder if you could briefly explain or touch upon the idea of how this new understanding of, a, of authority of the revelation of Sinai might have certain implications for how we interpret and understand the halachic process, the process of, of deciphering Jewish law today. Well, if we think that the, the core text of Jewish tradition, the five books of Moses, the Torah, came down to earth from heaven, and that every single letter comes from God, then the legal tradition, the halachic tradition that comes out of that text has not just a high degree of authority in general, but even its specifics have a very, very high degree of authority. It all comes from heaven. And therefore, the extent to which human beings, rabbis, scholars, sages today, or Jewish communities today can go into the system and start mucking around in there and making changes is going to be limited. It might not be, it might not be non-existent, but the extent to which humans can change the system is going to be limited. If we believe that from the very, very beginning, from the moment of the event at Mount Sinai, human sages human scholars, human communities were absorbing that divine command, reacting to it, interpreting it, and that the wording of the Torah itself is already, in a sense, midrash, as Heschel puts it, that the wording of the Torah is already an interpretation of God's will, then all the mitzvot from the beginning were formulated by human beings. And therefore, the extent to which human sages and Jewish leaders and Jewish communities today can go into the tradition and continue the process of interpreting God's will, the extent to which that's going to be okay is going to be much greater. It doesn't mean that any, anything goes, that any change that any individual Jew wants to make is, is, is kosher, but the possibility that there will be some changes in the system, that possibility becomes a much more practical, much more imaginable possibility. Great, great. Okay, so my, my uh, last question for you is a personal one. Being that you've been an observant Jew for much of your life, how have you personally reconciled your, your notions of biblical criticism with ritual observance? And what advice might you give to other people who are struggling with this today? 
Um, the way that um, I would reconcile, or that I do reconcile them, goes back to that distinction I made between command and commandment. The individual commandments are written by human beings, and therefore we can have some degree of flexibility with them, but the idea that we as Jews are part of a covenant between God and the nation Israel, and we are bound by that covenant, and we have to carry out the commandments of the, the system that is commanded, that still comes from heaven. That still comes from God. Um, recognizing that the specifics of this wording of this verse or of that halacha were written by human beings, that doesn't undermine the fact that it's a divine command that stands behind that verse. And so as I, I've sometimes put it to, to um, especially to some Orthodox Jews, especially young Orthodox Jews who come to talk to me about this issue, is um, just because you don't believe in the theory of revelation, the idea of Torah Messinai, that you learn from your third grade Rebbe, that doesn't mean you're patur from putting on tefillin or lighting candles. That doesn't mean that you're exempt from observing the laws of kashrut or observing the laws of Shabbat. Uh, this, this, the, the, the fact that the wording may be human doesn't change the possibility that the command behind it remains divine. Fascinating. Fascinating stuff, friends. If you want to read more, pick up Revelation and Authority or, and the Bodies of God in the World of Ancient Israel. Professor Summer, thanks so much for taking this time. Thank you very much, Muli. And Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Pleasure.